This Life Sciences lesson is brought to you by the KwaZulu-Natal Department of Education. My name is Kogi Govinda and I'm going to teach you a life science lesson in grade 12. The human reproduction is actually a continuation of the first lesson. We will cover in this lesson the menstrual cycle, which includes the uterine cycle and the ovarian cycle and the events in these cycles. I will also cover the hormones that control the menstrual cycle and the negative feedback mechanism involved in production of ova. There will also be fertilization and the development of the zygote discussed, implantation, gestation, and the role, role of the placenta will also be discussed. In other words, I'm going to actually complete the section of reproduction. So listen carefully. Before I start, boys and girls, it's advisable if you could, when you go back to school, to ask your teacher to give you the exam guideline of term one or the exam guideline of every section, because it really helps you to see if everything is covered in the classroom by the teacher and by you. And also it guides you in your learning, because if you do look at your textbook and your study guides, there's really a lot of information. But all of that is not important for the exam. So let's zoom in in this very short year and learn what's relevant only. So let's get right into it, right? The menstrual cycle. Now, boys and girls, I can't stress how important the menstrual cycle is because it has been one of the most popular sections or topics in the essays. So a lot of marks actually go towards the menstrual cycle. And um, also, before I continue, this section of human reproduction, I should have told you in the beginning, is 31 marks of paper one of the trial exams and 31 marks of paper one of the final exams. It's a lot of marks. Boys and girls, you can really get and score lots of marks in this section because it's, it's something so closely related to you. So the menstrual cycle includes two cycles, the ovarian cycle and the uterine cycle. So boys and girls, again, I urge you to find your textbook and find that ovary diagram where I'm going to actually mention a few things in there. Again, we're going to talk about a few things we've mentioned before, but go into a little bit more detail, right? So the ovarian cycle, boys and girls, is actually describing the events that takes place in the ovary, right? So I'll talk about the uterine cycle a little bit later. But the ovarian cycle, what happens inside the ovary? There's three things, boys and girls. One, the development of the graphene follicle. Two, it's ovulation. And three, it's the formation of the corpus luteum. So when I'm discussing the ovarian cycle and its events, I cannot not talk about the hormones. So I have to bring the hormones in. So I advise you to also bring a pen, a page again, grab one so you can make some notes, right? And make diagrams and learn with diagrams. It's so useful for life science. So remember the primary follicle we mentioned in the structure inside the ovary? That primary follicle, what did we say? Which hormone is important in stimulating that primary follicle to develop into a graphene follicle? Can you remember? Yes, it's called follicle-stimulating hormone. 
like the word suggests, stimulates the follicle to develop into a graphene follicle. Can you remember which gland secreted the follicle-stimulating hormone, boys and girls? Yes, the pituitary gland. So that gives you a point. So the pituitary gland is also called the hypophysis. Again, big words know how to spell them. Pituitary gland or hypophysis. Where is it attached? Where is it found? This pituitary gland is attached to the brain. So this gland is going to secrete the follicle-stimulating hormone because a female has reached puberty, so a primary follicle has to develop into a graphene follicle. So that one primary follicle of the many primary follicles in the one ovary is going to develop into a graphene follicle. will take a few days to do that, right? Um, so a primary follicle would develop into a graphene follicle, probably take about 14 days. So find the graphene follicle and note follicle-stimulating hormone was involved in growing that, developing that primary follicle into a graphene follicle. Then boys and girls know this. Remember we told you that the, uh, the ovary produces a hormone. Can anyone remember what hormone is produced by the follicles? Good. It's called estrogen. So estrogen is a hormone produced by the follicles. If you say it's produced by the graphene follicles, it will not be marked wrong. It's correct. But it's produced by the follicles as it's growing to become a graphene follicle. Remember that one follicle developing uh, because of the FSH increasing in the blood? Remember the hormones are produced and secreted into the blood. They are flowing into the blood and they're targeting the ovary right now. So the estrogen is going to be uh, produced by the follicles and the estrogen is going to go into the blood and the estrogen is going to target the uterus. Yes, you guessed that correctly. You remembered your work. So the estrogen is going to now prepare the uterus lining called the endometrium. Yes, what is, what is it going to do there? It's going to make the endometrium become thicker. Remember, it needs to become more vascular. That means the blood supply must increase in that uterus lining and more glandular. We will bring that back later on. I will discuss why more glandular later on. But more vascular, more glandular. In other words, the endometrium is becoming thicker. Why, boys and girls? Just in case there is a fertilized egg. If there's a fertilized egg, that uterus must be ready to receive the fertilized egg. So while the uh, follicle is developing, the follicle produces estrogen. The estrogen goes into the blood and the blood estrogen is going to target the endometrium of the uterus to increase the thickness of the endometrium lining to prepare that uterus for an implantation. Now, what happens now? So by the 14th day, this graphene follicle is actually mature and big, is ready to pop, is ready to burst, it's ready to release the egg. What is that process called when the graphene follicle bursts and the egg is released? Yes, it's called ovulation. Now, ovulation is a, an important process, right? You need to know it's a process that is actually controlled by another hormone. And what is that hormone called? Can you remember? Yes, it's the luteinizing hormone. Now, luteinizing hormone can be called LH, luteinizing hormone LH. But if you asked 
to give the term for this hormone, you have to mention the whole word, luteinizing hormone. Get the spelling right. So under terminology, you cannot say LH. You have to say luteinizing hormone. But if you're writing a paragraph, you can say LH. At, but you should have written it at least once in full. And thereafter, you could say LH, right? So luteinizing hormone is secreted by the pituitary gland. Remember, where is it attached? At the brain or attached to the brain. So the luteinizing hormone is going to increase in the blood at this time of the menstrual cycle. So the menstrual cycle is a 28-day cycle. We're in the middle of the cycle, day 14, somewhere there. The luteinizing hormone is only going to increase at this part of the menstrual cycle and, and this, in these days, maybe the 13th, 14th, 15th day. So it's going to peak, it's going to increase, it's going to rise and the rise of the luteinizing hormone, which is in the blood, is going to target the graphene follicle, causing it to rupture and ovulation. So the function of the luteinizing hormone is responsible for the graphene follicle bursting and releasing the ovum. It's responsible for ovulation. One. Second function of the luteinizing hormone, boys and girls. At the same time, when this graphene follicle is released, it's ovum, it's now an empty graphene follicle. So all the remaining cells of the graphene follicle is now converted into that corpus luteum we mentioned in the other lesson. So the empty graphene follicle without the egg is converted into a corpus luteum by the LH, boys and girls. The LH has two functions. One, responsible for ovulation. Two, converting the empty graphene follicle into a corpus luteum. The LH has two functions and is done more or less at the same time. Now, boys and girls, we've got the corpus luteum. That's the, the structure in the ovary. So this empty graphene follicle has become the corpus luteum. And what does the corpus luteum do? Remember we told you this? The corpus luteum is going to secrete the fourth and last hormone of the female and is called the progesterone. Now, please listen up. This is a very important part of the lesson, right? This progesterone, boys and girls, is going to increase in the blood. Remember, the hormone is going to be secreted into the blood and the progesterone is going to increase and is going to target the endometrium of the uterus. And what is it going to do there? It's going to further thicken the endometrium. Boys and girls, you can't say thicken the endometrium. It's going to be marked wrong. Because remember, the estrogen already made it thick. This one is going to further thicken the endometrium. Make it more, even more vascular, and even more glandular. That's one function. The second function of the progesterone, boys and girls, is to maintain the thickness of the endometrium. In other words, if the lady is pregnant, that means there was a fertilized egg and that egg has been implanted onto the uterine wall. Boys and girls, we can't have this lining removed. We need to keep it there. So the progesterone is actually going to maintain the thickness of the endometrium throughout the pregnancy and that will prevent a miscarriage. Lots of questions are based on this part. Note, boys and girls, remember I said it's an important hormone, so listen up. I'm going to talk about the negative feedback mechanism now, right? Now, when there is an increase in the level of the progesterone hormone in the blood, 
What does that mean, boys and girls? It means that this uterus is prepared for a pregnancy, for an implantation, for a fertilized egg to actually implant itself on the uterine wall, right, uh, on the endometrium. So, boys and girls, do we need another egg? We actually don't need another egg to be produced by this ovary. So, a high level of progesterone in the blood is going to inhibit, inhibit, prevent the pituitary gland from secreting FSH. So, boys and girls, a high level of progesterone is going to cause the FSH hormone to be low. So remember the function of the FSH, there is no need now for another primary follicle to develop into a graphene follicle when there is an implantation or a pregnancy. So the body is not going to allow another follicle to develop. Hence, high level of progesterone is going to keep the FSH level low. Let's also understand this. Let's say they, there was no implantation. There was no pregnancy, right? A school-going uh, girl is not going to be having any babies. There's going to not need, she's not going to need her uh, uh, uterus, u the uterine lining to be maintained. So then what's going to happen? Then the corpus luteum, which is secreting this progesterone, is going to slowly get smaller, it's going to shrink, it's going to disintegrate slowly and gradually for the next few days till the end of the 28th day of the menstrual cycle. Now the progesterone level in the blood is going to decrease gradually. So there were, there's no fertilization that took place. So the progesterone level is going to now decrease. Why, boys and girls? Because the corpus luteum that was secreting it is now shrinking and becoming smaller. It makes sense, right? A small corpus luteum will secrete less progesterone. Now the FSH will increase because the progesterone level is now low. The opposite will happen. When the progesterone level is low, the FSH will increase. In other words, the pituitary gland is now stimulated because of the low level of progesterone. It will be stimulated to increase the secretions of the FSH. So, boys and girls, I also don't want you to say in the exam, don't say no FSH and no progesterone. You say low. Low progesterone will stimulate the pituitary gland to increase the secretion of FSH, right? So now, when the FSH is now increasing in the blood, now the pituitary gland, the primary follicle in the ovary, the next primary follicle will develop into a graphene follicle for the next menstrual cycle. Now, this is called negative feedback mechanism. Let's quickly revise that. A rise of one hormone will inhibit another hormone. A decrease of one hormone will increase the other hormone. So, a rise in progesterone, a high level of progesterone, progesterone will inhibit the level of the FSH, a drop in the progesterone will stimulate the secretion of the FSH, which will increase in the blood. So a rise or fall of one hormone brings about the opposite reaction in the other hormone. Now for the exam, you have to know the negative feedback mechanism for progesterone and FSH only in controlling the production of the ova. I hope you understood that. 
and you got that clearly. So this can come out for a four or five mark question. They ask you about the negative feedback mechanism of uh, involving the progesterone and the FSH. Remember when the progesterone level is high, the FSH level is low. You won't say there's no FSH. It's just low in the blood, right? And when the progesterone level is low, the FSH level is high. In other words, when the FSH level is high, the progesterone level is low. Okay, so that's negative feedback hormone uh, mechanism. Now let's go back to the menstrual cycle. Remember those primary follicles uh, developed into graphene follicles? And uh, we were speaking about the endometrium lining and it gets more thicker and more vascular, more glandular. Because of which hormone, boys and girls? Yes, the estrogen hormone. So the estrogen level increases in the blood. So by the 14th day of the menstrual cycle, the estrogen level will reach its peak because now the graphene follicle is nice and big and it's secreting estrogen. And then ovulation takes place, remember, by the 14th day, right, generally. Um, so by this time, the egg is released into the fallopian tube and the empty graphene follicle was converted into the corpus luteum right? The progesterone level is going to increase after ovulation and the estrogen level is, of course is going to decrease because there's no follicle there now, right? The graphene follicle has burst and the egg has been released. So the corpus luteum now secretes the progesterone. So the progesterone level is going to increase and the endometrium lining, as we said earlier on, will further thicken. So the lining will remain thickened, but if there is no implantation, boys and girls, what did we say? By the 18th day, there is no implantation. There was no fertilization. There was no sperm that was introduced into this female's body. So, boys and girls, we don't need that lining anymore, right? So, by the 18th day, 19th day of the menstrual cycle, the corpus luteum starts to get smaller, disintegrate, get even smaller and even smaller. Slowly and gradually, which hormone is going to drop? Yes, the progesterone level is going to drop. And when the progesterone level drops, boys and girls, the endometrium lining that was maintained throughout that time by the progesterone was maintained is no longer maintained because the progesterone level has dropped. It begins to shed. The endometrium lining, which was now prepared for a pregnancy, no pregnancy, no implantation, no zygote form, it starts to tear away and the female has her menstruation. She now has her period. She bleeds through the vagina. That is the uterine cycle. This becomes then day one. When she bleeds, the first showing of the blood is day one now of the next menstrual cycle. And the cycle continues. So you get 14, the primary follicle will develop into a graphene follicle again. The estrogen will slowly increase again, preparing the endometrium, etc., etc. So the ovarian cycle is the events in the ovary during the menstrual cycle. The development of the graphene follicle, ovulation, 
formation of the corpus luteum and all the hormones involved. Then the uterine cycle is the events in the uterus, boys and girls. Yes, they are so linked, but what happens in the uterus? So when the follicle stimulating hormone is uh, p- uh, producing that graphene follicle, the primary follicle is becoming a graphene follicle, then the lining of the uterus starts to get thicker and thicker. So the thickness of the endometrium, it grows right? And when menstruation happens, the lining becomes thin again. Again, that's controlled by the hormones as we have mentioned earlier on. Okay, now boys and girls, we're taking you to the next part. Now, I can't stress how important that hormones and the uterine cycle and the ovarian cycle is. I'm hoping that you understood it. I'm going to ask you to go and read that. Make sure you understand how to say the points. Boys and girls, how you, how you express yourself in the exam is very, very important. So know how to say the points and, and be able to talk to somebody through it. And then you'll be ready for the exams for that. Now, another part of the reproduction of human is uh, fertilization. And another important part as well. Also very popular in paragraphs. and Very popular in the exam. So listen up again. And even here, take some notes and underline the important words that you must not leave out in your paragraph. So if I asked you, boys and girls, to define fertilization for me, what would you say? Yeah, you'd say an egg and a sperm will fuse. I'm going to give you no marks for that, hey? Because that's actually going to give you no marks in the exam. So be careful how you write that answer and listen up how to write that answer. So what is fertilization? It is when the haploid nucleus of the sperm. Yes, haploid nucleus of the sperm fuses with the haploid nucleus of the ovum in the fallopian tube to form a haploid and haploid will form a a diploid zygote. So a haploid nucleus of the sperm fuses with the haploid nucleus of the ovum in the fallopian tube. Boys and girls, you need to mention where fertilization happens. It happens in the fallopian tube, actually right at the beginning of the fallopian tube, just when the ovum has uh, entered the fallopian tube, the sperm will have to to, uh, come up the vagina, into the uterus, into the fallopian tube and meets the the ovum uh, in the fallopian tube and a diploid zygote is formed. So that's how you would word that answer, hey? Haploid nucleus of sperm, haploid nucleus of ovum in the fallopian tube to form a diploid zygote. You got that? Okay, now I want to also mention this. Remember, the entire sperm never enters the egg. Only the nucleus of the sperm enters the egg. Remember how I mentioned about the acrosome digesting its way through the egg membrane and then only the the nucleus of the sperm will enter the egg um, and the nucleus of the sperm will fertilize the nucleus of the, will fuse with the nucleus of the of the egg. Also, mention, um, I want to mention, boys and girls, the cytoplasm of the sperm never plays a role in fertilization. That means this zygote that is formed during fertilization, all the cytoplasm of the zygote is from the egg. You have to remember this because when you do evolution, boys and girls, we're going to talk about the mitochondrial DNA. And the mitochondrial DNA, boys and girls, is only from the mother in all of us. 
whether you're a male or a female, all our mitochondria actually comes from the egg cell. So in the cytoplasm is the mitochondria and no mitochondria of the sperm entered the cytoplasm. So when you're tracing the female uh, lineage in evolution, they use the mitochondrial DNA that will actually trace where the oldest human female fossil was found and uh, we'll keep that for the final uh, chapter of the year. Right, now let's talk about the development of the zygote. You know the zygote is now a diploid structure, right? It's got 46 chromosomes because 23 from the egg and 23 from the uh, sperm has now brought in together the 46 chromosomes, which is the normal number of chromosomes in a human body. That zygote, boys and girls, is going to undergo now mitosis. Remember, meiosis only takes place in the testes, seminiferous tubules, in the ovary, the follicle. Nowhere else in the body does meiosis take place. So mitosis is going to take place. The zygote is going to undergo mitosis to form a solid ball of cells. So it undergoes mitosis once, forms two cells. It undergoes mitosis again, it forms four cells. From four cells, it becomes eight. Eight cells. Eight cells become 16 cells. You're multiplying with me, boys and girls. 16 cells become 32 cells. Eventually, you become, you have this ball of cells. The solid ball of cells, boys and girls, is called the morula. So the zygote develops into a solid ball of cells by undergoing mitosis several times, and it's called the morula. Yes, you must say solid ball of cells called the morula. Then the morula undergoes further mitosis several times and this is all happening in the fallopian tube as it's moving down the fallopian tube and going towards the uterus right and as it's moving it's developing and it's becoming undergoing mitosis and becoming and forming a hollow ball of cells a hollow ball of cells it has a cavity a system the inside and that's called the blastula the whole ball of cell the hollow ball of cell is called the blastula or blastocyst the blastula will eventually develop into an embryo and it will be called an embryo for the next three months of pregnancy so let's uh, recap this. The zygote undergoes mitosis to form a solid ball of cells, which is, which is called the morula. The morula undergoes further mitosis to form a hollow ball of cells called the blastula or the blastocyst. The blastula develops into an embryo, which will be called, um, which is called an embryo for the next three months. Now, this blastula, now it enters the uterus, right? Now, this blastula has to become attached to the endometrium lining or the endometrium uh, of the uterus. Remember, it was prepared for an implantation. Now, there we go. It's going to be attached to the endometrium wall or the lining. And that process, boys and girls, is called im, I am plantation. It's implanted onto the endometrium wall. It's now attached to the endometrium wall. So that blastula, which becomes an embryo, and then eventually it, uh, it's called a fetus after three months for the next uh, period of pregnancy. It is called a fetus. That uh, embryo slash slash fetus remains in the uterus for nine months 40 weeks, boys and girls, and that period is called the gestation period. 
So implantation is the process of the blastula getting attached to the endometrium wall, uh, which was prepared for the that that process and gestation is a period of time that the embryo or fetus remains in the uterus that is the nine month or 40 week period which is actually called uh, we call pregnancy but the life the word that you need to know the term for life science is gestation until birth it's called a fetus there right now boys and girls Let's talk about these membranes around the fetus, the extra embryonic membranes. There are two membranes around the fetus. You remember? Right. The first one is the outermost one, the, the one that is right in the outside of the fetus. And that's called the chorion. Chorion, boys and girls. Look at that word. Spell that word correctly. Chorion, right? C-H-O-R-I-O-N. The chorion, boys and girls, is the outermost membrane. What is its function, boys and girls? It protects the fetus. But most importantly, it is, it is the one that forms the umbilical cord wall and the chorionic villi where the fetus is attached to the uterus, to the endometrium. See where the fetus is attached to the endometrium? That point of attachment if you follow the chorion carefully, boys and girls, with your finger, you will see that it actually goes into that area of implantation and it forms finger-like projections, which are called the chorionic villi. So this point of attachment is actually called the placenta and it has the following functions. So where the chorionic villi is, that area, that point of attachment is called the placenta. Very important part boys and girls and what is the what is the function of the placenta remember this fetus is totally dependent on the mother for all his or her requirements all its requirements all the fetus's requirements is uh, actually going to be dependent on the mother for it so one it serves as an attachment so the embryo and the mother is attached here, serves to attach the embryo to the mother. Now, boys and girls, it's important how you express yourself. You can't say baby. You say embryo. You know it's not called a baby yet. It's only called a baby when it leaves the mother's body. So you say embryo. You speak properly in your answer, right? It serves to attach the embryo to the mother or to the uterus lining. Secondly, it allows for diffusion. Now, diffusion of a few things, right? One, it needs food from the mother. So diffusion of dissolved food from the mother to the fetus. Yes, boys and girls, you have to know the direction. The, the, the nutrients or dissolved food has to come from the mother, from the placenta to the fetus. Please write that clearly. Then it allows, the placenta allows for the diffusion of oxygen. From where, boys and girls? From the mother, again, from the placenta towards the fetus. So diffusion of oxygen from the mother, from the placenta to the fetus. So carbon dioxide, remember, is a waste substance that's produced during cellular respiration. So the fetus is growing and as it's growing, it's also undergoing cellular respiration. That is why it needs the oxygen. So the carbon dioxide is made in its body. It cannot keep the carbon dioxide in its body. It has to release it. So the carbon dioxide is a poisonous waste. It has to come 
out from the fen from the fetus sorry to the placenta so the carbon dioxide is diffused at this placenta coming from the fetus to the mother then the placenta also allows for the diffusion of nitrogenous excretory waste from the fetus so the fetus is growing and as it's growing it's growing cells the cells are working the cells are making waste substance excretory waste substance substances that it cannot release on its own it's dependent on the mother to release it for it so the nitrogenous excretory waste substances are moving from the fetus towards the mother so boys and girls that means in the fetus there are a few systems that are not really functioning what are they the gaseous exchange system is not functioning on its own yet and the nutrition system the system dealing with food is not really functioning in other words okay so so there are three processes that are not fully functional in a fetus right one is the gas exchange system so it depends on the placenta to do that job for it secondly it's the excretory system it depends on the placenta to do that job for it and thirdly it's the digestive system it depends on the placenta to do the job for it right then lastly remember we kept talking about the endometrium lining has to become more glandular why now boys and girls i'm not sure if you know this but when a lady is pregnant she never ever reveals her pregnancy until she's past the third month of pregnancy did you ever wonder why it's because of this listen up about the 12th week of pregnancy this placenta it starts to secrete its own progesterone so in other words boys and girls that corpus luteum that was secreting the progesterone for the last 3 months in this pregnant lady has slowly begun to dis- disintegrate and become smaller and shrinking if that shrinking um or that corpus luteum stopping its production of the progesterone secretion and the placenta starting its production of the progesterone does not happen at the same time then the endometrium lining can actually be shed and the mother can have a miscarriage therefore it's an important function the placenta plays it produces progesterone at a, about the 14th week of pregnancy and it must be synchronized with the corpus luteum disintegrating during that time so that the endometrium lining is maintained note as the placenta develops blood filled spaces called maternal sinuses develop in the placenta as well now this chorionic villi that we were talking about that is formed by the chorionic membrane that extends into the sinuses actually this means the blood of the fetus and the mother's blood is very close but the chorionic villi walls prevents the two blood from mixing they never touch the chorionic villi keeps the fetus blood on its side and the mother's blood on the mother's side right and the diffusion of the substances as we mentioned earlier on takes place through this chorionic villi okay these finger like projections at the placenta and then boys and girls we spoke about the umbilical cord remember now this umbilical cord is also formed from this chorionic villi and inside this umbilical cord 
is the umbilical artery and the umbilical vein. Remember the umbilical cord attaches the fetus to the placenta. It's the link right between the placenta and the fetus. Now the umbilical artery, remember, it's blood vessel that is coming away from the fetus. A blood vessel is coming away from the fetus. What do you think would be in this blood vessel if the blood is coming away from the fetus? Yes, boys and girls, it's going to bring the deoxygenated blood, the carbon dioxide laden blood and nitrogenous excretory waste from the embryo from the fetus to the placenta and again speak properly here don't say baby to mother say from the embryo to the placenta that will give you the mark right so the direction of the blood flow is from the uh, embryo or the fetus to the placenta and what is it carrying with it the deoxygenated blood filled with carbon dioxide and the nitrogenous waste coming from the fetus in the umbilical vein boys and girls the umbilical vein, remember, is coming from the placenta to the fetus. So what will come towards the fetus? Yes, this blood is going to bring oxygen. So oxygenated blood with the nutrients coming from the placenta towards the fetus. The last part, boys and girls, is the last membrane around the embryo. It's called the amnion. Now the amnion is an important membrane and the amnion is immediately surrounding the fetus. So the fetus and right around the fetus is the amnion and around the amnion is the chorion. Right? We spoke extensively about the chorion. Let's talk about the amnion. The amnion contains the amniotic fluid, boys and girls, and there's just four functions of this fluid that you must know for the exams. One, it's because it's fluid filled, it acts as a shock absorber, protecting the fetus against mechanical injury. So the mother bumping her uh, body here and there, that fetus is well protected because of the fluid. Secondly, it prevents dehydration of the embryo, right? The embryo is uh, going to be kept moist. Thirdly, it keeps the fetus within small temperature range that means it maintains the temperature range for the fetus and lastly the fetus is allowed to freely move in this fluid and grow and develop so boys and girls i suggest you learn one word from each of those functions what the first term is shock absorber second one is dehydration preventing it third one is uh, temperature range maintaining it right um, and the fourth one is movement of the fetus so remember terms that will help you remember the functions of the amniotic fluid um so boys and girls i wish you all the best in your exams and i hope you understood whatever i taught you and um hopefully we could do another lesson sometime soon in the year thank you all my name is kogi Govinder, and this has been a life science lesson on the reproduction of human in grade 12 thank you that life sciences lesson was brought to you by the KwaZulu-Natal Department of Education.